Hey, hey family. family. I'm Joanna. And I'm Shannon. And, and we're, we're just Ordinary Catholics. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of our friendship and laughter. Please continue to shine your light on us as we walk together on our journey toward you. Today, we especially thank you for all of the gift and the talents that you bestow on your children, and especially those creative storytellers. Amen. Amen. We promised we were geeky, and we are. <laughs> I am so excited. I can't even tell you. <laughs> you should see her notebook, and they're just like pages of scribbles of notes for today. <laughs> so here is our first Geek Out podcast. We are talking about... Christian themes in Harry Potter. I have to tell you, I have probably taken every single BuzzFeed Witch House I Am quiz and have read every information I could ever find on Harry Potter. What house are you? I'm a Hufflepuff, obviously. Okay, that's what I thought. Obviously. There's no denying it. I'm a Ravenclaw. Okay, okay. I can see that. There are a lot of Christian themes in art and literature, movies, music. You can find a common theme of good versus evil and basic Christian teaching in, in not just Harry Potter, but in a lot of movies, books, art, things that aren't even supposed to have some kind of underlying message in them. But they do. And why, why exactly is that? Well, tell us, Shannon. Basically, in the time of Jesus Christ and the time Rome was falling, the church had so much influence on Europe, and the church really unified Europe. Our laws in America, the colonial laws, were written by Christian founders. Christianity is based off of Judean principles, So when we as humans write or tell stories or make movies or make songs, we tend to speak from our own souls and our own moral compasses, which just so happen to weave in all of these teachings. A lot of Christian morality is passed down from generation to generation. So... While some of our morality is kind of inherent in being children of God, there is a lot of it that is learned as as we grow. So even in times when it's unintentional, you can do some digging and find parallels to our faith in all of these different sources of culture, source material, if you will, which is a fun little game. I love it, yes. In the case of Harry Potter, in the beginning when the books were released, There was a question of whether or not these were good moral teachings because there's a spoiler alert here. There's a little bit of magic in the books, which is not Christian. Right. As Catholics, we don't (laughs) believe that there is such thing as magic or witchcraft and wizardry. So disclaimer there, we, we know that, we understand that. I know when the books were first coming out, there was a lot, there were a lot of Christians who were kind of up in arms about it. But the reality is there is no more magic in this than there is in Cinderella. 
or right. other fairy tales. Um, this is more imaginatory, imaginative, I think is the word, my mistake. Um, and in fact, as each book was released, it became more and more clear. This is an allegory. It's a Christian allegory, yes. Do you know what an allegory is? Well, I do because I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> but we should You're ask right. Siri because Let's it ask... is very similar to thing, like a metaphor. So, hey Siri, what's an allegory? Allegory means a story poem or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral. There you have it. Thank you. There you have it. So that is an allegory. And J.K. Rowling, the author of the series, has come out and admitted that she did base this series off of the teachings that she was raised with and went so far as to downplay her faith because she was afraid that if people knew that how Christian she was, that people would figure out the ending to the book series, which she didn't want to happen. Also a disclaimer as we continue through this podcast is if you have not read the books and you have not seen the movies, this contains a million and one spoilers. Yeah. So yes, either stop listening or get ready for us to blow your mind with this amazing <laughs> story. <laughs> I've actually read these books. I couldn't even tell you how many times, at least seven, because every time a book came out, I read the whole series. Really? Oh, yes. And I would go. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit this, but it's... Would it's you go to the dress-up release parties? No, I wouldn't dress up, but we would go at midnight. We did, too. And we would dress up. And then we would <laughs> My read the books and, and have a, um, a race to see who would finish first. That's awesome. I, growing up, it was something that me and my grandma and my uncle were all really into. So I have really fond memories of when the books were coming out. My grandma would take me and or me and the brother closest in age to me and we would go to the release parties where she would buy the book and we would dress up. She would give us like capes to wear and oh, she so would fun. like draw the lightning bolt on our forehead and we would go and take pictures with everybody there. I have really, really fond memories of that because as a kid, like midnight was really late, but it was something special super to do with late. our grandma. And even and, as a college student, super late. Yeah. And I have really good memories too of watch as the movies were coming out, my uncle would who is my godfather, would come up and he would show us the movies. Like, we watched the Sorcerer's Stone together, and then when Prisoner of Azkaban came out, it was like a, a date night for us. Aww. We, like, went to dinner, and then we went to the movie together. So I have really fond memories growing up. of. I want to say it was the half... No, it was The Order of the Phoenix. It was way more than seven times that I read the book because I also read them whenever all the movies came out. And um, I actually brought my book to the movie theater and I followed along in the movie theater with my book. That is hilarious. <laughs> what can I say? Also, fun fact, my youngest child was born on Harry Potter's birthday. I remember you were so excited about that when he was born. I was so excited. <laughs> I even dressed him up for Halloween as Harry Potter. So Maybe so I can uh, put that on our Instagram. That would be adorable. <laughs> okay, so anyway, back to this. Back to the matter at hand yes. here. Christian themes. Not all the great memories we have associated with Harry Potter. It's fine. There are actually, in the seventh book, two quotes from scripture. And these are very overt Christian references. Some of the allegories throughout the book series, whether it's in the characters or the storyline of the, the novels, 
it, they're a little bit more covert, but these two in particular are very obvious references to scripture. The first one being on the tombstone of Kendra Dumbledore, who is Albus Dumbledore, who is the headmaster. His sister, on her tombstone, it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart also be, which is almost directly pulled from Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And then the next reference is on Harry's parents' tombstone, which I would also call foreshadowing of the finale of the story. From 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Also in that same scene where Harry is reading his parents' tombstone, Hermione conjures these Christmas roses, like a wreath of Christmas roses to lay on the tombstones. And fun fact, Christmas roses are generally meant to symbolize the nativity or the Holy Family, which consists of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And mm. Harry's family is just mom, dad, and Harry. That actually leads us into our character analysis here. We have... Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. I can't wait. All right, so there are a couple of different times throughout the book when the Trinity is depicted. And remember, the Trinity is God three in one. So we have, I would say the more obvious one is Dumbledore as the father, Harry as the son, Jesus, and then the Phoenix Fox, Dumbledore's pet, he is um, the, Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, or coincidentally, or not, whenever Fox dies, he comes back in a fire of flames, which the Holy Spirit is often depicted as fire. As, right, as a flame or as fire. Another time is during the, what's that called? The Deathly Hollows. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking at the picture of it right now. She's like air drawing <laughs> it in the air. <laughs> which is a triangle with a circle with a line through it. And that right there is three things to shape. The line is the wand, which is God. The stone, the resurrection stone, is the circle. Is the circle. And the resurrection, Jesus. And, and then the last one is the invisibility cloak, which the Holy Spirit is invisible. So just all encompasses those three things. I have also heard of Dumbledore, while he is the godfather, god the father figure throughout the series, I've also heard of him as being John the Baptist in that he prepares the way for Harry and prepare ye the no. way. Oh, that's from Gunspell. Joanna, we're, we're doing Harry Potter. Okay, sorry. We'll do that one I next. Couldn't, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, he knows that he is not the chosen one, but that one is coming after him. And he helps form Harry to be the savior of the wizarding world. And there is a quote in, oh gosh, I think, I want to say it was a half-blood prince, where Harry asks Dumbledore to just do everything or save everybody, and he doesn't want to do it. And Dumbledore says, but your blood is worth more than mine. So I think that is a really cool reference there. So the idea of the Trinity, the whole idea of the Trinity, right? So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, 
represents the ultimate good in the book series, but who represents evil? And this one should be fairly obvious, even if you're not a Harry Potter fan. It's Voldemort. Ooh. He who shall not be named. Yes. Which is actually one of the correlations between Voldemort and Lucifer. So Voldemort is the big bad in this story. So he is the ultimate evil in this story. And the Wizarding World doesn't like to acknowledge that he ever existed. So they talk about him as he who must not be named. A lot of people shush the the teenagers in the novel when they bring up Voldemort. They don't want to acknowledge that he existed. And Satan does the same thing, right? He tries to convince us that he doesn't exist. Uh, there's a line that I really like. I wish I could remember who says it, but it goes something like this. The biggest lie the devil ever told was convincing us that he didn't exist. Voldemort does a really good job of making sure that nobody ever talks about him. Nobody ever acknowledges his existence. So he can kind of do whatever he wants to in the shadows because people are afraid to talk about him. And I think that's important because Satan kind of does the same thing. If if we think that he doesn't exist or he's not working in our lives, it's easier for him to kind of worm his way in. Oh, absolutely. And, and get to work on us in, in you pulling know, us from Christ. Another thing about Voldemort that is very interesting was that when you get to know a little bit about his backstory, you find out that he did have an opportunity to not be he who must not be named. I mean, he had the opportunity to be a great, powerful, positive, good wizard. Right. And he chose not to be. And that is very similar to Lucifer, who he didn't have to be right. the he, devil. He, he did not have to fall. He was one of the fall. most beautiful angels and one of the closest to God. And he chose to turn away from that. Because that more than he wanted to be with God, he wanted to be godlike. And the same with Voldemort. He wanted to be the powerful immortal wizard. wizard there is only one wizard that voldemort is afraid of right it's dumbledore is yeah right is dumbledore in the books and in the same way satan is terrified of jesus yes he's terrified of god can we go back to harry potter a little bit though sure i want to just make a couple of more references so we made a couple of references to like in voldemort to the devil but we didn't really explain why Harry Potter was the Jesus on the Trinity Triangle. Oh, yeah, sure. He was chosen before his chosen birth. One. Oh, yeah, there's like a prophecy about him before he's ever born or right after he's born, right? It, yeah, it was, I can't remember if it was right before or right after. They but, say the prophecy in Order of the Phoenix. Right. Ooh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's okay. Um, so there is a prophecy, and just like Jesus... There was a prophecy about him. King Herod knew that this little baby was being born and wanted to kill him. And that is the same where they found out, they being the wizarding world, Voldemort found out that there was a wizard born, a boy wizard born, that was going to overtake him. And, and he sought to kill him. Right, right. Um, Harry was a friend to everybody. He didn't care what house you were from. He was friends with Luna. He was friends with Hermione, who was kind of nerdy. He was friends with the Weasley twins, who were... Mischievous. Kind of mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was friends with Hagrid, who was an outcast. 
and he did not make he did not put qualifications on his friends. I think we can move forward now. <laughs> I just wanted to say all of that before yeah. we got too far ahead. Let's talk about some other characters in the book and the ways that we have found biblical references. Yeah, biblical parallels to sure, those I've got characters. a time. <laughs> We've got a list. So we have God, we have the devil, um, Harry, Harry, Jesus, Fox is the Holy Spirit, um, Snape and Malfoy. They um, they're a lot like Judas in that they have they're linked to a betrayal, and that is the betrayal of Dumbledore in the Half Blood Prince, where the two of them spoiler alert, <laughs> kill Dumbledore. And there's this massive betrayal. Dumbledore trusts Snape, and so Harry trusts Snape, and Snape ends up... Malfoy's actually the one tasked with killing Dumbledore, but he doesn't follow through. Snape does follow through on behalf of Malfoy, so the two of them have this big betrayal moment where they kill Dumbledore. And come to find out, that's how it had to be. Dumbledore actually asked Snape to follow through with it if Malfoy couldn't. He, Just like yeah. in the Bible, somebody had to betray him and somebody had to turn him in and somebody had to give him up. And, and that, that was Judas. And in, the, in a similar way, Snape and Malfoy were kind of the ones that were chosen to, to betray. Uh, so another Judas moment is Peter Pettigrew, who was Harry's parents. Oh, that's are, a good one. Who are James and Lily. Ooh. <laughs> they are really good friends with Peter Pettigrew. They have this really good group of friends, and Peter Pettigrew is the one who betrays James and Lily to Voldemort. He gives away... They trusted him so much that he was the only person who knew where they were. And he is the one who told Voldemort where they were. And that kind of sparked Voldemort finding them and, and ultimately killing James and Lily and going after Harry Potter. So that is another moment of, of serious betrayal of friends. If we look at Ron, so Ron, Harry, and Hermione are all friends. And I, I would say that Ron is probably the most relatable of all of them. I think you and I can relate a lot to Hermione because we are like really well, nerdy. And, and rule following. <laughs> and awkward and all of those things. But I think her, Hermione is a little bit uh, perfect. Oh, yeah. In in the books, and I think Ron has the most... It's Leviosa. Yeah. <laughs> Ron is the most human of the three of them. So he we see him in the book. He gets jealous of Harry. Oh, he yeah. He gets upset. He gets angry. He gets he frustrated. He feels inferior. All of that. All of those things. And at one point in the in the Deathly Hollows, he, he leaves. He leaves Harry and right, Hermione right, because right. he's so in upset. And it's kind of a prodigal son moment because he leaves Harry and Hermione in the woods. He realizes, no, his friends need him and he needs his friends. And so he, he comes home. Uh, well, not really home because they're homeless at this point in the books. But <laughs> Well, they had that, like, bougie tent that yeah. they lived in. But they, Ron comes home and in, in a semi-prodigal son moment where Harry and Hermione do welcome him back. Yeah. Hermione's like a little that. salty about it, but... So she's the good brother. <laughs> she is the... Oh! This just got better. <laughs> I told you. She's, I told you. She's the other brother who's like, I stayed the whole time and did this hard work, and you left. Yeah. Harry acts as God the Father in that moment where he welcomes him back. Let's take a look at the Hogwarts houses as well. One of the first acts 
that Harry has to do when he's in Hogwarts is be sorted. And there's this hat. And the hat goes on everybody's head and tells you where you belong. And remember, Harry says, please not Slytherin. I don't want to be in Slytherin. He doesn't even really know much about it. He just learned about all the houses that day. And the hat whispers to him, are you sure? Because you can be great in Slytherin. And he says, no, I, I don't want to do this. So he is sorted into Gryffindor instead. I think that gets overlooked a lot because in reality, he chose his path from the beginning. And at the end, he in the end of the series, he said, I almost was put into Slytherin. And it turns out that you have choices in your everyday. All of the wizards chose. They weren't chosen. They weren't sorted. They themselves picked the qualities that they wanted to abide by. Just like Ron wasn't the most brave and Hermione could have easily been in Ravenclaw, but you choose your path. The only ones I really have drawn reference to, I'll think about the other ones, but the two are the obvious ones of which Gryffindor, the quote-unquote good house, has the symbol of the lion, which in the Bible, God is referenced as the lion and the lamb. And Slytherin, which is quote-unquote the bad house, is their symbol is the snake, which that was what tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, that's not to say that either of those like categories or houses or characteristics of those houses can't be changed and turned sour. Like you have uh, Percy, who is a Gryffindor, but he is very pious and he's very condescending and he takes the qualities of a Gryffindor to the extreme in kind of a bad way. And in the same way, a Slytherin can be a good person with the qualities that they have too. Well, we all have qualities in us and a qu- one quality doesn't make us a good or a bad person. Right. But it's what you choose to do with those qualities about yourself. Exactly. But we see other some other characters. We're not as familiar with the other houses. Uh, there's Hufflepuff. Uh, Cedric Diggory is a Hufflepuff. He's probably the most well-known Hufflepuff until you get to like Fantastic Beasts, but we're not talking about that in today. That's a spinoff. Yeah. And then you have Luna Lovegood, who's a Ravenclaw. So Ravenclaw, that's a raven, mm-hmm. right? So could we say that, I'm just making this up, so correct me if I'm wrong, but could we say that the bird, a.k.a. the dove of with the olive branch in the Noah stories that they, there has to be something there, right? We might have to do some more digging. (laughs) Work with me. (laughs) Um, But we could talk about this a lot. We love Harry Potter and we're going to keep talking about it, but we are going to keep talking about it in part two of this podcast. So stay tuned next week where we will dive more into the books themselves and the Christian themes in the storyline and in the plot points of the book. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon.